the five faculties. What's the first one? Faith. Faith. All right. And what this practice tells us is that for any system to be of assistance to us, any practice to be beneficial for us, we need to have confidence in it. We need to have faith in it. So how do we generate that concept or that quality, that mental factor that's called confidence or faith? A part of my responsibility is to inspire, to encourage. And I gave it a lot of thought, how what words can I use? What examples can I lay out that will inspire you to have confidence in this specific practice? To use it, to employ it in everything that you do, in every breath that you take. I can start out by first Lending authenticity to the practice itself, to the veracity of the practice itself. That is, instructions that have come down to us from 27, 2800 years ago. And why should we embrace them in the first place? Well, it is my opinion that we should embrace them or something like them because they work. They benefited those who tried them when they were first presented into this reality. So my first question was, are they authentic? Are they the same instructions that were followed by the original practitioners? And my investigation determined that in spite of some poetic license and variations that come more from honest translation than intention, there were a whole cadre of men and women whose responsibility and gift to us was to maintain a sort of purity of the teachings, to pass them on, to transmit them from one generation to the next in a very authentic and truthful way. And we, we, certainly, have an, we certainly should have an appreciation for all of those men and women who took the time to memorize very difficult teachings and to ensure that they were presented What's the word? That they were duplicated without distortion. And I believe that they were. When I look at the writings from different cultures, whether I look at Indian culture or Chinese culture or Japanese culture or Tibetan culture, I can find the common thread through all of the, those writings to know that well, this must be true because not only is it stated here, but it's stated here and it's stated here and it's stated here. But then the mind will argue, well, you know, it was easy for the Buddha to do it because he was a Buddha. Or the Christ to do it because he was Christ. But that doesn't guarantee or doesn't mean that I can do it. That I can acquire the stability, this, this wellness, this place of calmness and peace, joy and happiness. So I said, uh, well, what I can do is give myself as an example then. 
I won't talk about the Buddha. I'll talk about me. And I'm not saying that I'm a Buddha. I'm saying that the practice has delivered for me. That here's how I can perhaps inspire you to be inspired by the practice, to have confidence in the practice, to have faith in the practice, to have faith in the method. You and I came up in a culture where certain groups of people were told that they were inferior, that they couldn't be educated, that they were unteachable, that they just wouldn't get it. They didn't, they didn't have the capacity, the capability to analyze and know the more complex things in life. But what is the most complex thing that we can ever learn? And that's about how to live in relationship with reality, in harmony, with peace. And I tell you, I testify that in spite of blue states and red states, North Korea and Syria, Somalia, Cameroon, the Congo. That I have, through the practice, obtained peace and joy. And so to tie it up is to say, if it worked for me, a poor boy from Southeast Washington, then it can certainly work for you. Because you are the privileged. And I'm not saying that facetiously. I'm not saying that with intent to harm or displace or deny. I'm just saying that we are conditioned by our conditions. And if someone who grew up hearing that he was incapable of understanding understands, then certainly those who grew up hearing that they could understand can understand. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying know how the system works. This is a practice that causes us to be awake, to see clearly. And it will open your eyes. It will allow you to understand the complexities of reality. The one thing is to realize that there are some things that we can't change. So, I was told today to be good because we've got company. And if I were different, there would be a pressure associated with that. But because I know that in this reality, no matter how good you are, you will not be good for everybody. You, will, you know, everybody will not evaluate you as good, no matter how good you are. That's not personal. That just is the way it is. So for all of us, who still feel downtrodden because our parents don't like us like we think they should. Or our neighbors don't think as highly of us as we think they should. Just remember that. 
no matter how good you get, you won't please everybody. That's just a given. That's just the truth of this reality. So it's about understanding how this works out here. And you accept it. You're okay with it. It doesn't rob you of your calmness and your centeredness and your love and your joy. It's just who they are. That's all. The proof is always based on the feeling that you as an individual have in any moment, in any given time. Am I okay? Do I feel okay about this? Do I feel at ease with this? And there are many reasons why you might feel at ease about it, but the, probably the first basic one is, is because it's what you want. So what you do in your practice is to see how you are, how you feel when there's something present that you don't want. That's the practice. How is my relationship with things that I didn't want to happen? And that's how you know your practice is working. If you're able to be okay with undesirable situations, then you've got a leg up. You, you're starting to develop something. Because ultimately, there is nothing that's undesirable or desirable. There's just isness. It's just a situation, an experience. It's not good or bad, it's just there. It's just something for me to be with, something for me to have a relationship with. And it all is conditioned by what we think. That's why it's important to at every moment be aware of what's going on in the mind. Because this is the filter. What I think conditions my experience. And the magic is understanding that and knowing that and employing that. So if I don't like what I'm experiencing and I have a feeling of aversion about that experience, I can change the way I think about that experience and it changes the way I feel about it. Doesn't change the experience. The experience is the same. But that doesn't matter because I also know for sure that just as that experience arose, it will also go away. Not because I've made it go away, but because it's, it's nature to go away. This too shall pass. No big deal. Nothing to get upset about. So again, examine your state of consciousness to see whether you have confidence in the practice that you're practicing. 
ask yourself, am I, am I practicing anything? Or am I just browsing? Am I just window shopping? When you ask yourself that question, you will know where you are in the process. But in order for any system to work for you, you have to have confidence in it. You have to believe in it. That's the first requirement. Because if you don't believe in it, if you don't have confidence in it, you won't use it. You won't employ it. So again, I'll end with what I began with. If it works for me, it will certainly work for you. Now, any questions? Any comments? Thank you. And I would love to hear how you would describe the difference between true equanimity and suppression or spiritual bypassing, it's often called. Oh, okay. Okay. I was asking if we could hear the difference between true equanimity and suppression or what's often called spiritual bypassing where you know in at an intellectual level you may avoidance. be avoidance <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah all those things <laughs> all right there's a direct correlation now i'll put it another way the practice gives us a way of knowing or evaluating how we're doing If I am engaged in avoidance or aversion, there's a feeling that's associated with that. That if I'm mindful, I'm aware of. I have, I don't, I don't have, I can't have contentment or stillness or calmness with aversion or avoidance. So asking how do we know when there's a difference, when I'm employing one as opposed to the other, it is gauged by or measured by my feeling of peace and stillness within me as to which one is present. Okay? So there's a, a tightening or a contraction. There's a discordance when I'm in avoidance or aversion. It's, just a, it's a push. It's a get away from me kind of thing. When I'm truly equanimous, I'm just there. Being aware of what's there with me. Okay? So, that's why it's important not only to look at the content of mind, but also to look at the quality of mind and body in every moment. Because this will truly let me know how I'm doing. So if Politics upset me, or predominant thought upsets me, or dogs barking next door upset me, then it's, I know it's not them, it's me. You know? and, and that's the knowing part. How, how, to, how to work with it is the knowing part. How to, what to employ, what to use. For what reason? Ultimately, it's about your own peace, your own happiness, your own joy, 
your own contentment. This is why we engage in anything that we do. This is why we choose partners that we choose or we choose to be alone if that's what we choose to do or we choose to get this job instead of that job or make this money instead of that money or speak this language instead of that language or live in this town instead of that town. It's all seeking that place of contentment, that place where there's no stress, no burden, no weightedness, no unhappiness. That place of peace, heaven. We're all looking for heaven. And so this practice gives us an opportunity to experience heaven here. Joy, love, contentment, pleasure, stillness, calmness, harmony, union, community. Okay? But I can't have any of those things if I disagree. So how do you make a change if you don't disagree? How do I make it better or different if I don't protest? That's when we get into this whole concept of spiritual disconnect. What am I doing about it? Well, what can I do about it? See? What can I do about it? I can tinker without here forever. And I can't get any better than being a Christ or a Buddha. And they were already here. And craziness is still going on. So do I think I can change craziness? Some people think they can do it by voting for a different candidate, for moving to a different country, for disarming or for arming, for being right wing or left wing. We can make a difference out here. But all of those things have been tried forever. And we still got what we got. So what brings the change? It's not changing out here, it's changing in here. It's being committed to monitor and adjust what I find in my own state of consciousness. And when I do that, what I find is as I change for the better, so does everything out here change for the better. I see things differently. And the way I see things is the way they are for me, my truth. If I try to change things out here without changing myself, there is no change because I still see things out there the way I've always seen things out there because I'm looking at them through my filters. I've got to change my filters to change the way they are. Know thyself. Anyone else? All right, I want to... Hopefully, I've loosened that hold on insecurity that belief in unsurety that feeling that I can't do it, I can't accomplish it. 
I hope I have. That was my intention. It's about learning how to be in relationship with everything there is. And understanding that the only difference that I see is what I make. A, a thing, I guess there's a thing that comes up for me is um, at some point, someone always points to I got to do this to take care of myself. And the examples usually end up defaulting to some level of monetary need, desire, or want. And, and um, often the finger is pointing out if this bill, who's going to pay this bill? That's look, that's someone's asking us to pay and um, as you make contact with an enlightenment drive um, while also having certain challenges and physical pressures that these are practical realities in life and how to not gloss over them or say they're not real or to be have a carefree attitude towards them and to continue to lighten the feeling of those things that generally circulate and invade and permeate almost everything we do now. Was there a question in there? Um, how do you address the multifaceted reality of the of taking care of yourself and how to do that? The given is that you have to take care of yourself. In other words, we got to eat. In order to eat, we have to have money to buy food. Or we have to have friends that have food. But there's all different methods with which to acquire what is necessary. The practice is to do what you have to do or what you feel is necessary to do without the promotion of harm or ill will. So it's not that I abandon the need for anything or the necessity for anything. It's just that I find a way of gaining that necessity or that need without doing any harm. And that I don't worry about it. If I do my best and at the end of the day I don't have any food, then I fast. But I can't expect to lay in bed all day or to sit on my cushion all day and expect a bowl of rice to be there when I come out of Samadhi. Nice. <laughs> it would be, but that ain't the way it happens. Expectation. So, we got to do what we got to do. But we learn how to do it with, with love and compassion. And we're willing to go without if it means we have to do something harmful to someone to get it. This is where Panya comes in. This is where wisdom comes in. So when we talk about the faculties, when we talk about the five faculties, the first one is faith, to get us started, to initiate us into the practice or the system. But the last one is faith. Wisdom, the knowing how things work and understanding my relationship to all things 
and my responsibility to all things. And joyfully accepting the work that has to be done to make that so. Did that answer your question? Well, we started with faith and, and we traveled to, through to wisdom and I, I speak for myself that wisdom uh, doesn't have that clarity. Uh, I still, I, I, def, I, <clears throat> I cloud my own mind, faith or mindfulness um, when it really comes down to it, I, I still, the, the folks that are saying this is reality still weigh upon me. Um, but I'm here and I do practice. Well, well, first of all, remember that reality is empty and it's what you think it is. It's not what, what anyone else thinks it is. It's what you think it is. That's your truth. If you think it's weighty, that's what it's going to be. You know, if you think it's complex, that's what it's going to be. So this is why we have to work with watching the mind. Because the mind is the manifester of reality. That's why some people can be happy for this, and some people are unhappy for the same thing. You know, we we had we had a whole large group of people who were happy and enjoy when Obama was elected, and you had a whole large group of people who were happy and enjoy when Trump was elected. Whole different thing. So how can there be happiness in both camps? Well, that's what people think. So just watch what you think and see how it affects your feeling. And if you don't like the way you feel, change the way you think. That's the practice. Understanding how it works. And then don't asking it to be different than it is. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Think about your hand. So your hand was always there, but it wasn't really there until you thought about it. Thinking about it is what makes it present. When you are aware of that, you then go back and and be more circumspect about what you think about. That's all. That's, what it, that's how it works. That's the simplicity of it. Is happiness a goal or a transient, ephemeral thing that comes and goes all the time? And what does that have to do with Buddhism in general? Happiness, pill, peace, stillness, contentment, Calmness are all qualities that we can use to measure our our position in our practice. It's not a goal. It's like a unicorn. It's just something that comes when we're doing, doing the best we can, when we're doing what's correct for us. But we don't do it for that. We don't. That's about craving and effort and pushing. But because we set a condition in place, because we practice a certain way, because we live in harmony a certain way, those qualities establish themselves because of that. So it's not a goal. 
It's just something that's present. It's just like feeling bad isn't a goal. Nobody sets out to feel bad. But because we learn that because of how we think and what we do, it causes, it establishes a certain feeling or criteria within our moment. And so we make a decision about what do I want to feel this way or do I want to feel this way? And so we create the condition that makes it happen. And that's the way it works. So the goal, if you will, of Buddhism or this practice of is to understand reality and to understand how to relate to life so that in every moment we can be okay with what we have. And that okayness may translate into different things for different people. They might, they might experience joy, contentment, stillness, calmness. You know, like when we're in love, we might experience, again, patience, compassion. But we're not looking for those things. We just experience them because we have set the condition for them to be. So ultimately then, it's like, how's your life going for you? If it's going well, then there's nothing to do. If you're tired of the ups and downs and the swings, then there's something to practice for, to bring a a more stable engagement with each moment so that you're not happy one moment and unhappy the next. And when you can work with those concepts, when you can influence those concepts, then you realize it's not the experience or the concept that's causing my problem. It's me and the way I think about it that's causing my problem. And I amend or adjust the way I think about it, which changes the way I have relationship with it. And then I die. <laughs> I always got to bring up the death. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's a part of the dance, too. There's always autumn, you know. The leaves are always changing. So, if you're good, then we'll meditate. Thank you. All right, go inside, pick your object, observe, be aware of what's going on in consciousness. That's what this is all for. This is the process.
do your best to stay awake and aware. And the reason for that is the mind or consciousness is always interacting with everything that comes through the sense gates. So just be aware. Just be there. Observe. Not to change it, not to alter it, just to see what's there. If you still don't have the confidence, if you still don't have the faith that you can do it, that you can, you can wake up, you can be enlightened, you can have Buddha nature, Christ consciousness, God consciousness. Get yourself a totem. Does everyone know what a totem is? Does anyone not know what a totem is? All right. The original peoples would have totems that would identify with a certain animal. Not for the animal, but for the qualities or characteristics of the animal. And my totem is a pig with wings. Okay. <laughs> Thank you all for coming and being who you are. Your wisdom, your support, your love, your compassion is much appreciated. May all beings be liberated from suffering. May we be well. May we be happy. May we be peaceful. Smile at a stranger. Enjoy your day. Stay aware and awake. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.